Father, we're grateful for the evening and just thank you for the opportunity of being here and just would ask that you would give us clarity of mind as we consider these things from your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so when it comes to um, the subject matter we're talking about tonight, as you think about the decree, so in God's desirous will, there are certain things that he determined would happen and there are certain things that he desires to happen. So the things that he determines to happen, nobody's going to stop them. The rapture, second coming of Christ, Christ coming um, as the slain lamb, none, none of those things are un they're unstoppable. Nobody's going to be able to stop them. And then you have these other uh, aspects of it and things that he desires. He allows the believer to have choice in some of those matters, right? And then there's other things in the middle that he permits to happen where he will allow them to happen. It's not what he really wants to happen, but he allows the believer to do certain things that are... Um, that might be inconsistent with his will. And it's interesting, some of the things that God allows ends up being things that he uses, right? <laughs> so you, you're not, and this is what Paul says in the chapter, in the ninth chapter of Romans, you're not going to outfox God. You're not going to outthink him. You're not going to outbeat him. Whatever it is that you're thinking that you're going to try to do that is going to fool him. And you think, well, who can say that? Well, I remember a day when I thought in my mind, if I just did certain things, God's not going to know about it, right? <laughs> and people do this, right? In their minds, they're thinking, oh, I don't know, if I don't say it out loud, maybe <laughs> God's not going to know about it. And it's funny. You, you think it's funny, but there are people who will actually plot to do things inconsistent of God's will. They do. And they think somehow in their mind they're going to pull this off. And God's going, they're going to get away with it. But it's just really interesting when you see it. And people do a lot of funny games with their minds. They may not even think about a situation because they're concerned that maybe God's going to find out and it's, he's going to intervene. Uh, you can think of a lot of the things that people have said concerning the will of God that they don't want. Uh, I, one of the things that I see is marriage. A lot of people are scared to allow themselves to follow God's will because they're scared of who God's going to put them with. Right. Maybe God's going to put them with somebody that's overweight or ugly or who knows whatever kind of thing. And there's a lot of believers who think like this. I've talked to some of them. And so they people believe they will do anything not to live the will of God because they don't trust God for their lives. And they don't think that God knows what's best for their life. And so they then. Again, what it ends up happening, they have their will and then they have God's will and never shall the two intertwine. There's a lot of believers. They're living like this. They're living their will. And then what happens is they pray to God, do my will and he won't do it. Then they get frustrated. And they just keep going down that line. And no matter what, they pray to God and say, well, God never answers my prayers. Well, of course he doesn't. And he's not going to do it. He's not going to be coerced by you to do what you want him to do. He's not going to be coerced by anybody. And people get frustrated with God. Not because, and they say, well, God just don't answer prayer. No, God doesn't answer prayers that are inconsistent with his will, you see. That's the issue. And people won't admit that. And they don't want to be honest with themselves. And it's a problem. It's a problem in Christianity. How many believers today are living outside of the will of God? Some of them know they're living outside of the will of God and they don't care. 
They are more concerned about doing their will than anything else. And then you look at their lives. Their lives are a mess because they've made their lives a mess because they're going inconsistent with God's will. And then they want to blame God for it. And you just say, yikes. Coincidentally, we know a fella just like this. And his life has been one shipwreck after the other. And he's looking like for he's thinking about the look, waiting for the, the his ship to come in. And every time it comes in, it's the Titanic. <laughs> it's a crash. And, and he doesn't see it. He's still bumping his head up against the wall. No matter what, he just keeps smashing his head every turn. He keeps making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And you think, are you tired yet? And he's still, to this day that I'm speaking to you, he is still not tired. I begin to wonder if he's even saved. I think he is. He gives the gospel. But you just see this. You see believers and they want to blame God for their bad life and their bad choices. And it's not God. And so you have this where in, in, the, in the decree, God has made certain choices. Now, one of those choices is that he has chosen some. So this is, as I've told you before, a lot of people have a problem with this. If you have a problem with it, you might as well get over it. God is not like your mother or father that you can intimidate into saying, I don't like what you did. Uh, it doesn't intimidate him at all. <laughs> He has made this choice, and we're going to see that. Now, we were started last week, and we started looking at it with the word eklegomai. And uh, so we were looking, and I gave you a definition. We were on page 13 of your booklet. Uh, eklegomai is to pick out or to select or to choose for one. And in, in the middle voice is he's doing it for oneself. He's doing it for himself, not necessarily implying the rejection of what is not chosen, but choosing what is the subsidiary idea of kindness or favor or love, and this is out of Vine's uh, dictionary. And we started looking at some of these and some of the usages of this word, and we looked at some of them. Um, but here, let's look at the 13th chapter. Um, <clears throat> well, so let's start with John 15, and we'll look at the disciples and how he chose some of the disciples. In John chapter uh, 15 and verse 16. And so we see the Lord um, as he talks to his disciples and he talks to them and uh, uh, gives them some insight as to why and how they came to be with him. And notice in the 15th chapter, we are in the upper room discourse and he's giving them some information about things that are going to come and happen. And notice in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so here we see a different standard for love. And agape love is not as you love yourself, as it was under law, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. But here we see a totally different commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And notice you are my friends. If you do, verse 14, if you do um, whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things I have heard of my father. I have made known unto you. Now, notice what he says here in verse 16. You have not chosen me. But I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit 
and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. And notice you see a couple of things happening here. In the future, he's telling them communication is going to be in the Father, to the Father in the Son's name, you see. Now, it's interesting when you hear people praying to Jesus. We're really not told to pray to Jesus. You realize that? We are, never will you see that you're told to pray to Jesus. You're told to pray to the Father in the Son's name. And he will, he will give it. Now notice also here, you have not chosen me. And so we have our word here, eklegomai, a form of it. But I have chosen you. So he chose the disciples. They weren't looking for him. He went looking for them. And remember, when he chose them, um, they came to believe as a result of the... Um, you, you, you want to remember, just as an aside here, they did not believe in the death, burial, or resurrection of Christ. You and I must believe in the death, burial, or resurrection of Christ today or you're not saved. Now, what did they believe to be saved? Does anyone know? Anybody remember what they believed? Not you, Dan. <laughs> I just wanted, didn't want to just think I was just sitting back. <laughs> so he chose them. Let me show you a couple of things. Look at Luke, the 18th chapter. You can never say this enough. In Luke, the 18th chapter, we can prove for a fact they did not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He told them several times what, that that was going to happen, and they did not understand what he was talking about. Notice in the 31st verse of Luke 18. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it on. And notice, they said, Glory, hallelujah, let's go. Right? That's what they said, right? Notice here what, what they really said. Um, for, uh, in verse 33, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And on the third day, he shall rise again. Or really, he shall raise himself. Verse 34, and they understood none of these things. Now, if I told somebody the gospel today and they said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm thinking to myself, we got an unsaved man here. If so, you don't know the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, you're unsaved. Notice, just to show you that it wasn't just a uh, small thing, he goes on to explain it in a different way. And this saying was hid from them. What? The death, burial, and resurrection was hid from them? Notice, he goes on to tell you again, in case that didn't get it. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. They had no idea what he was talking about. So you can see it in Matthew, the 16th chapter, when Peter when he asked Peter, who does uh, the people say the son of man, are, I, uh, who the son of man is? And then he says, you're the, the Messiah. And then he says, don't teach anyone that I'm the Messiah any longer. From that point, he stopped teaching. And that really was relationship to the kingdom from the heavens. And then uh, we see that Peter rebuked him. But notice what they when they came to believe. Look at John, the second chapter and notice what they believed. <clears throat> You see, what we believe here is that as you let Scripture say what it says, that it makes the distinctions that it needs to be made. Don't you tell Scripture what you think it should say. 
And so a lot of people do this. They want to say that the, the disciples believe the same thing that we believe. You will never find it in the Gospels. Find it where they believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You won't find that in the Gospels. Here's what they believed in John, the second chapter. <clears throat> Notice in John chapter 2. Uh, so here you find the Lord who is at the wedding of Canaan. <clears throat> and notice <clears throat> he, well, start with verse one. And on the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto them, they have no wine. And Jesus said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he says unto you, do it. And there were set six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, every man at the beginning does serve the good wine. And when men have well drunk, then they, they bring out that which is worse. But you have uh, kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. See, what did they believe? They believed that this is no man. No man could take this water and turn it to wine like this. He must be God. They believed that he was deity. No way any man could do this, you see. They did not believe in his death, burial, and resurrection at all. Now, if you and I don't believe that today, you're not saved. So when, what we'll see throughout Scripture is that God has God called people out in different dispensations. They all believe that, and it's all been by God. It all has been by grace. It all has been through faith. But what people have believed in different dispensations, the object of salvation is different from dispensation to dispensation. And if you try to make it, people have gone through all kinds of gyrations to try to make it the same all the way through the Bible. And then you just get silly. And they have. And so people believe what well, they believed in the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. Like, you know, Rahab, when she let down that rope over the wall to lift up the the uh, the slaves or the, the spies from Israel. Well, that rope was red and it's symbolic of the blood of Christ. And that's and you say, well, you know what that's symbolic of lunacy. That's what it's symbolic of, because you cannot prove that from Scripture. You cannot. And that's where you get into trouble trying to make scripture say things it doesn't say, you see. Just let it say what it says. And it makes perfect sense. It's not a problem. And so you can see God chose these disciples. He chose them. Now, notice they didn't choose him. He chose them. And notice in Acts 13, 17, you see it uh, with regard to the nation of, of Israel. <clears throat> now, notice. There's two narratives in the uh, book of Acts that really give you a, a lot of history of the nation of Israel. You have Stephen in Acts chapter 7, who gives you some, a more consistent narrative of the nation and what happened with them and how God dealt with them. And then you come to Paul over in Acts 13, and he gives you a narrative too that really gives you great insight into the history of the nation of Israel. And so uh, notice, we'll pick it up um, in verse 13. 
Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga, Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, here's where John, that something happened here in Pamphylia. We're not told what happened, but whatever it was, John ran home to Mama. <laughs> he says, I can't take it. And so this is why Paul has a problem with him in Acts 15 when they, uh, he and Barnabas want to go out on a second apostolic journey. Now, notice in verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue of the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up, beckoning with his hand, and he said, Men of Israel. And ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm, he brought them out of it. And about the time of 40 years, he suffered their manners in the wilderness. Now, one note here, this election is a little different. He chose Israel as a nation. But you know that not all of the ones in the nation of Israel are elected. There are some people in the nation of Israel that are not elect. So he was dealing with them as a nation. He made a covenant with them. And it's not going to be until the end of the tribulation period that we see in, I think it's in the ninth chapter there, that he, uh, 11th chapter, he separates the non-elect of Israel from the elect. We see that he's going to take them into the wilderness. He's going to plead with them in the wilderness. By the time they come out on the other day end of the tribulation period, what does Paul say? All of Israel will be Israel. This is a little different than how he's dealing with the church. So he dealt and chose Israel as a nation, and he's dealing with them as a nation, though not everyone in the nation are really saved. Many of your Jews today are not. They're unbelievers. But you have those who are elect, and those who are elect in this dispensation of the, the Jews or of the nation actually coming into the church are seen as being a part of the body of Christ. But he still has a role and a purpose for Israel as a nation, and you can see that in Scripture. But so he, he chose this nation, and that's a little bit different because in the church, all of the elect are the ones who believe, you see. Nobody in the church who is elect is an unbeliever. Anybody that's an unbeliever in the church is what we call a tear. And so that's a little bit different. Now notice, you see that this eklegomai, I'm trying to say it wrong, is primarily used to note God's choosing of men in Christ before the world began. Now notice in Ephesians 1, chapter 4, I don't know... This is one of the doctrines that people just steam at. And I don't know why. I look at it and I think it's one of the wonderful doctrine. And maybe it's because I understand that I'm part of the ones that were chosen. And I just cannot understand why people. I like the way McGee says it. He says a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about why did God choose some and not choose others? And he says that's really not the question you should be asking. The question you should really be asking when you understand how none of us are any good why did he even choose any? Amen. Right? Why did he even choose any? And so you got people, they're so, you know, like any of us were worthy. Right? <laughs> That's just a, it's just the wrong question to ask. And so notice in Ephesians 1, you see Paul 
as he starts off this wonderful sentence in Ephesians chapter 1 that takes up the entire chapter. Did you know that this is not uh, grammatically correct in English, this sentence? What is it? In English, I think you can't have a word a sentence longer than 24 words, I think it is, somewhere along in there. Well, yeah, Paul, he defies that in this chapter here. Notice in verse 1, and we'll read down through 4. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace is unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, or, um, blessed is, is the God and Father, or even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with spiritual blessings, and I would say not in heavenly places, but in the heavenlies. And where is that those spiritual blessings seen? In Christ. And notice what he says, according as he has chosen us, where? In him. And when did that choosing occur? Before the foundation of the world. I laugh every time I hear someone say, you could lose your salvation. Are you kidding me? This was something that was wrought even before you were born. If you think that there is something you can do to lose your salvation, you don't understand how your salvation was purchased. You really don't. There is nothing that you're going to be able to do to mess up your salvation. You say, well, what if I just start sinning a lot? Okay, there's nothing to separate you from the love of God, but there are some things that you can do that will separate you from your body on this earth. <laughs> okay? But it's not, still not going to separate you from the love of God, you see. And so notice it chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so this happened before time. And remember, we had our chart that looked at the fact of how this, if you can go back a, a couple, uh, uh, Carl, back to, uh, just go back, I think it's three or four. Go, I'll go forward, yeah, there you go. Keep going, 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 going there, right here. So look at this. And so here you see Ephesians 4, that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and so this is an eternity past. Even though he chose you here, uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were just like the rest of the people before he called us. That there's a certain period in time in which he was going to call us in time. And before then, we were just like the rest of the unsaved. That's just an amazing thing. But do you know you weren't going to leave here until he called you? Not one thing was going to happen to you until you were called. This is why we can have confidence in evangelism. I don't know. You've got these people running around and thinking, oh, my goodness, unless we reach all the people groups of the world, I mean, Christ is not going to be able to come back. And all of this tomfoolery, it's just a bunch of tomfoolery, really. And it's not anything that is biblical and true. God's in complete control of what he has done and what he's doing. And so notice, um, you see, again, God did not choose all of the ones he chose from among the best and uh, uh, he did not choose from um, all of the ones he chose from among the best and brightest. Or he did not choose from among the best and brightest is actually what I wanted to say. <laughs> Let's look at the First uh, Corinthians is actually where I want to go with that. First Corinthians. And look at verse 26. First Corinthians chapter one. I'm sorry. Chapter one and verse 26. 
Now, when we were younger and we had, uh, um, we used to have Sandlot football games. And so we would have captains. And as captains, you would look at the person that you think could help your team. And if the person was slow <laughs> or had some kind of thing that they weren't good at, you didn't think that they were, they were timid, you didn't, you didn't choose that guy. You know, so I didn't get cho chosen on a lot of teams. <laughs> but people would choose the ones that were the best because you wanted to win. That's how the world does things. God does the total opposite. He chooses the things that the world actually despises. And so that's what you see here in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Okay, I don't know which category you will find yourself in. But, you know, choose. They're all bad, right? So let's start with this one. God has chosen the moronic things of the world. Well, I don't know which you could, or there's some others you can choose from, but moron, the moronic is, is one of the categories. Uh, to confound the wise, God has chosen the weak things of the world. To confound the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things that are despised had God, has God chosen, yea, the things that are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Why, does he, why did he do it this way? So that no flesh will boast in his presence. Nobody's going to be able to say, I got here because I came from money. I got here because I came from a good family line. I got here. Don't you know who I am? And it's funny when you see this happen in churches and you can go into certain churches where people have been attending this church for a long time. And a lot of fights are uh, caused because my family's been in this church forever. They set the stained glass windows in that window. My grandpa helped put the windows in that window. Right. And a lot of fights are caused over this. But, you know, that's not how God chose. At all. In other words, somebody put it this way. If you had a stack and a heap of the worst mess and junk, he reached down, not from the top of that junk, but at the bottom of the junk. And that's who he chose from. Not many people were chosen from outside of that. Very few. And so notice somebody said it and he says, um, <clears throat> what did we say there? Verse uh, 26. I think Dr. Schaefer used to say that woman of nobility says, I got saved by an M. Yeah, she says, I got saved by an M. Because he did not say not any, but she says not many. Not many. There are some who are rich and powerful and of the elite that are chosen, but not many. Very few. And so it, uh, notice so that no flesh, but out of him are ye in Christ Jesus, verse 30, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. And so notice here, if you go back, Carl, on the, we're on page 14 of your uh, outline. <clears throat> it's interesting as you go uh, through uh, Romans, the ninth chapter, I gave you that you see this uh, eight points of election that I wanted to point out as you look at the ninth chapter of Romans. Very interesting. Again, one of my sons, when I used to read this, just really had a problem with this book, um, this chapter, early on in life, because he thought it wasn't fair. It wasn't right that God would do this. 
And so I don't know what he saw, but he, he had a problem with it. But now he's okay with it. Uh, notice in verse, we'll pick it up in verse 1 and we'll read down. I say the truth in Christ and I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow, or really agony, in my heart. For I wish that I could be accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, he's going to give you a definition of who's Israelites. You might want to really take note of this, because there's a lot of people claiming to be Israelites today. You realize that? You have this group up in the Northeast call themselves, um, uh, not British Israelites, but you have these, uh, this black group calling themselves to be Israelites. Uh, I think they call them black Israelites. Or I can't remember the name, but they, they're getting big, and, and some of them are very violent. And so notice he gives you a definition here of who the Israelites are. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law? Here's another place to show people the law was not given to the church. It was given to Israel. So many places you could show that. It's just unbelievable that someone would actually say that the church was given and was put under law. And the service, or really the priestly service of God. And the promises, whose are the fathers and whom are concerning the flesh, Christ came, and who was over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though that the word of God has taken none effect, for they that are not, uh, for they are not all of Israel, which are Israel. So here you, you see, again, the nation was elect, but not all of the people in the nation are elect. It's a, it's a very ironic thing. <clears throat> Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are, all, are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. <coughs> that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at that time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, uh, even by our father Isaac, for the children, uh, interesting here, not yet being born, neither having done anything good uh, or evil, or agathos, or really I think that's uh, good for nothing, for evil is good for nothing, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, notice, not out from works, that word of, is like not out of works, or not, uh, not <clears throat> out of works, but of him that calls. And so notice here, before they had done anything, before they were born, they hadn't practiced anything good or evil. Election is not based upon works. It's not based upon that at all. And it's notice he says, it was said of the um, herd, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved and Esau uh, have, have I really it's a, has a, have a silent hatred for. And so Paul anticipates <clears throat> what the response would be for somebody who would say that, that would hear this. And so he asked the question, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And that's what people would say. That's not right. And that's what people say. And you hear it. And I've heard a lot of people say that. Well, it's interesting that you and I can make choices and we really bristle at people who would actually question our choices no matter how bad they are, you will bristle. Well, who are you to tell me, right? And that's what you do. 
but we, when God makes choices, oh no, he can't make choices. And there's a lot of questioning of it, but he will not be questioned. And notice what Paul says here. God forbid, or really may it never be come to be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy, uh, whom, whom I will have mercy, and I will have uh, really tender compassion upon whom I will have tender compassion. Now, this is very interesting to see what he says in verse 16. So then it is not of him that willeth are the one desiring. I mean, you see a lot of people who are running around, a lot of religious uh, people who are running around and they're like so somebody says in, in, um, in uh, your cults and your isms, what you have is man looking for God. But in Christianity, you know what the difference is? God comes looking for man, you see. And so you got all of these people out here, they're looking for God, they're searching around. It's kind of like it reminds me of that episode of Forrest Gump where he's running and he just decides to run for no reason at all. <laughs> he's running, running, and he got this crowd come following behind him and say, now there's a guy who's figured life out. <laughs> and so these people are looking for somebody who's figured life out. And so they're searching for God. But God, I mean, really, you don't, God, I didn't go searching for God. God came looking for me. And that's grace. And so it's not of him that desires, nor him that runs, but God that shows mercy, who has pity. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, even for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Uh, and so, therefore, he has mercy on whom he has mercy and on whom he wills or whom he desires, he hardens. And so here you see election is not based upon birth. It is not based upon doing good or evil. It is not based upon the one desiring. It is not based upon the one running. And notice it, ori it originates from the one calling. And notice uh, God elects and we'll see in um, the 11th chapter. In verse 3, that there's just a remnant of those whom he calls. But notice in verse 19, what Paul continues to say, Thou wilt say then unto me, then why does he find fault? For who has resisted his will? Now, I don't know that I would tell an unsaved man this. Because this is going to be the question, well, why were you blaming me? Because I'm just doing what God wants me to do. Right? Uh, and so this is the idea of somebody would ask this question, and Paul raises this question, and that's just interesting what he says in verse 20. Nay, but O man, who art thou to reply against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? Has not the potter power over the clay to make the lump, to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath? So here's, here's a good scripture to show you what's going on today. What's going on in the world today. Here's, you could sum it up all in these two verses here. What if God, willing to make his wrath, uh, show, uh, put on a graphic display of his wrath, and to make his power known, and do it with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Uh, and so this ideal of uh, a long holding out of the mind is macrothemia, and so that's long burning. And so we can experience that as believers with this macrothemia when we, uh, it's a fruit of the spirit for the believer. You ever been around somebody and they just, every time you just feel this inner burning inside, 
and it doesn't flow over, but they just kind of get under your skin and you're just, you're able to stop it, <laughs> right? It doesn't subside. There's a long holding, a long burning that God has with these people, right? And so why is he doing it? Notice he says, these vessels of wrath that are fitted to destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had before prepared unto glory. One of the things you really see is that God is telling the story in this dispensation. And so he's energizing in his mature sons. Satan's energizing in his mature sons. And there is something that is being told about this. You really see it over in Matthew, the 13th chapter. What happens when the king goes away? What's going to happen when the king goes away, goes away? When he, when the, the kingdom is rejected, those parables over there in Matthew 30, uh, 13 are telling you what happens to the kingdom that he would have ruled over. And that's exactly what's happening today. It's exactly what's happening today. There is no doubt about what's going to happen. There's no doubt about what's going to happen at the end. There's no question what's going to happen at the end. And so... It, you and I are here for a purpose and where uh, the reason that God has us here. And that makes a big difference when we understand it. And so notice on your chart there, God declares his character to all the earth through this through election. And God displays his power through election and uh, election is consistent with God's righteousness. That God. Here's one of the things. If you have a problem with election that you can understand, God is righteous. He always acts right. You may not know why he does what he does, but you know that he will never act unrighteous. Because he's, he's not possible that he can ever act unrighteous, you see. And I, it's an interesting thing when you understand that. And, uh, and I don't know, I, I'm just happy to be on board. I don't really give much thought to who wasn't chosen. I, and maybe that's selfish on my part, but I really don't give that much thought to it. I'm just so happy to be on board. Uh, and so... But a lot of people, they, that's a problem for them. Now notice, uh, eklektos, which is a, uh, another form is described, used to describe those who are chosen by God in eternity past. And so you see those, for example, in, in the tribulation period, there are going to be some that are going to be elect to go into the tribulation period. There are people today who have not accurately heard the gospel. You see this over in Matthew 24, <clears throat> who are going to go into the tribulation period. Um, maybe they're alive today. I don't know when the, the rapture is going to occur, whenever that's going to occur. And so there are some um, who, are going, who are chosen to be in the tribulation period, and they will actually go through the tribulation period. And notice, uh, they're going to be saved there. And just be thankful that this is not going to be you. Uh, I don't think anybody here is going to go through that, but uh, some people will. So Matthew 24 is telling you, there's three questions that are asked of the Lord, and he's in the, the course of Matthew 24 answering those questions. Um, and one of them is, uh, notice at the beginning here in verse uh, 1, And Jesus went out and he departed from the temple, and his disciples came unto him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not one uh, left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, saying, uh, privately saying, Tell us when these things shall be, what shall be the sign of your coming, and what shall be the end of the, not the word world, but it's actually what, what shall be the end of the age. And so notice in verse 22, he says this, in verse, uh, actually go 21, For then shall there be great tribulation, 
as not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, uh, no, nor ever shall be. And this is interesting. You have a lot of people who don't understand Matthew 24, and a lot of your heresy concerning prophecy has come out of here. So you have this guy, Marvin Rosenthal, who uh, built the, um, um, what's the Israel thing over there in Orlando? Um, it escapes me now. Holy Land experience, yeah. He believes in a mid-trib rapture. And so he wrote a book about it. And the reason that he says he believes in a mid-trib rapture is because of this verse here, that there will be great tribulation. So you have the tribulation period start, and then in the middle of the tribulation period, you have uh, the um, uh, seal judgments that occur in the first part of the tribulation period, but in the second part, you, it just really just goes to pot. It gets worse. So you had the first three and a half years, then you had the last three and a half years. It's going to be unlike anything anyone has ever seen on the face of this earth. And so a lot of people will say that because that, that and they say, well, the church can go through that first part because it's not going to be that bad. We're going to escape the great tribulation period, which is that second three and a half years. But that's not true either. Now, notice in verse 22, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And so there's going to be elect during the tribulation period. You can see it over in the book of Revelation where those who are saved out and they are, their souls are under the altar and they're crying out to God, how long will it be before you avenge our blood? And so there are people who are going to be saved during the tribulation period. It's going to be harder for you to be saved. Those elect are going to go through some of the most horrible things that has ever happened on the face of this earth. But God has people during the tribulation period. You're going to see the 144,000 Jews that are going to go around and they're going to be preaching the gospel or really the good news of that dispensation to all, uh, all of the elect and all of the ones who believe. And one, notice one of the signs you can see that they're going to show that they believe is that they're going to help those who actually are preaching the good news. And you can see that in Matthew 25 when he says, when you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, You've done it unto me. Now, he wasn't talking about some poor guy here in America. Don't say that. Please don't use the scripture to say that. You are actually butchering scripture if you say that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the tribulation period and the 144,000 during the tribulation period. And some people have used that as a social gospel. I've heard one politician who read that, and he said that this is his theology. This is why he's involved in some of these crazy politics he's involved in. And he read Matthew 25, and I thought, oh boy, I guess you can't make the Bible say anything you wanted to say, because he did. Now notice in verse 24, verse, uh, 23, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, there is the Christ, or there, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that he, if possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, do not go forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines into the west, so shall be with the coming of the Son of Man. For wheresoever the carcass is, there shall the eagles of the carrion be gathered. It's a funny thing. You see these beautiful pictures of this dining table. Have you ever seen that of the great feast? And they have these chairs lined up and it just looks so beautiful. Well, that's not really what the great feast is going to look like. It's going to be a bloodbath. That's what the great feast is. 
the carrion are going to have a field day after Christ comes back and he just tramples all of his enemies. The birds and the carrions, these vultures that hang around in my house, they probably won't be there. They'll fly over. They'll have food for days. They're going to feast for days after the Lord puts down all of these enemies of his. It's going to be a great feast, a wonderful feast for them. Notice in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall uh, with reference to heaven. Now, Jeremiah gives a picture that this, when the sun goes out, by the time it's going to get darker, I mean, light uh, darker and darker and darker, and by the time that the Lord comes, the sun's going to be fully gone out. Now, that's going to cause gravito pull on the earth, and Jeremiah said, I saw the earth, and it was woven to and fro like a drunkard. So I think in that, people are going to look up to the sky and with their and how they see this, it's going to appear as if the, the stars are falling onto the earth. Now, all it would take is one star to fall onto the earth and the earth would be toast, you see. But I think this is what they're going to see as they look up into the sky. It's going to be such craziness going on. You think the craziness are going, is going on today? You wait. You haven't seen anything. They're going to be looking back at these days and say, these were the good old days. You know how people look back to the 50s of uh, Aunt B and, and Apple Pie and all of that and say, boy, those were the days. They're going to be looking at these days like that. <laughs> and so notice he says, um, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars will fall. And I would translate that with reference from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. I just love this. I love the, the great ending to a story. And here he comes when all of this craziness going on. And here you, you see the hero coming at the end to the rescue. I just love that. And so, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds uh, of heaven. Or really, I think this, you see this clouds here is with us. It's not talking about there's going to be a rainy day. We're going to be coming back with him. This is just a wonderful picture here. I remember when we were younger and we would get into a fight with our this family. We had a feud with down the street from us, the Joneses. <laughs> we were always fighting back and forth. Well, we'd go get our big brothers. And, you know, it was always interesting to see the fear on our face. We had more troops coming. And so here you see this with the tribulation period and what's going to happen. Uh, what did John say in Revelation 1? When he comes back at the, at the end of the tribulation period, every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. Not the case at the rapture. And so they're going to be made to mourn uh, as they see. And notice, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from every, uh, one uh, end of heaven to the other. What a rescue that's going to be uh, for those who are going through the tribulation period. So you see this word electos and it's used of those in the tribulation period. Uh, notice it's used in Romans eight thirty three concerning those um, who are chosen in Christ. Romans eight thirty three. And notice, this is just a wonderful chapter here in the, the book of Romans. And uh, he gives you really um, uh, some insight in, into how um, God 
this all was ferreted out in, in the, the decree in terms of how God chose and what he did. Notice in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that are, and I would say loving God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And so for whom he foreknew, now he foreknew you, he chose you first, and because he chose you, he was acquainted with you. That word foreknowledge is that he is to have a before knowledge of. Now, how did he have this knowledge? Because he chose you in eternity past. And as a result of that, now he, he's acquainted with who you are. And so that's where foreknowledge comes in. He also did predestinate. Now, because he foreknew you, now he can predestinate as he marked off the boundaries of your life. So there is no circumstance that is going to happen in your life that God is not in control over. All of these things he knew beforehand would happen, and he marked off the boundaries of your life as to the circumstances that would happen in your life. So really, you know, when you see from the uh, is issue of the will of God, that it's the will of God that the believer be thankful for everything and in everything, we, we really can be thankful for everything and in everything because we know that God's in control of all of it. And there's not anything that he's surprised by. So he predestinated us. Notice is the, the purpose of this predestination is to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. And them he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay any charge to God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, and is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God and who makes intercession for us. And then he goes on, who's to separate? And so here you have the son, and we know in Hebrews 7.25, what is he doing? Is he sitting up at the right hand of the father, just taking a nap until the rapture comes? No, he's interceding on behalf of the believer. He's interceding on behalf of you and me every single day. We, we don't think about it. We have no understanding of what's going on. We think that things happen, oh, this just happened to me. Oh, this just happened to happen. That this is just circumstantial. All these things are immaterial. But all of these things are happening because the son is interceding. And one of the specific reasons that we're told in Hebrews that he's interceding on our behalf is to keep us saved. You're not going to ever not be saved. I think it's really arrogance to, for somebody to say, I could lose my salvation. Are you kidding me? The son, one of the purposes for his intercessory ministry is to keep you safe. And what did he say of the disciples in John chapter 10? Of those whom the father gave me, I lost, have lost not one. Not one, but the son of perdition. Think about that. Of all the elect of all time, only one has been lost. Just one. You don't think that he's capable of keeping you? Are you kidding me? Who do you think we're serving? Some Rudy Boot? I mean, he is able to save to the utmost those who come to him. 
And so yeah, it makes a huge difference when you understand that. And notice um, there's no charge could be brought against those uh, that are elect. Notice uh, also some angels were seen as elect in First Peter, uh, First Timothy five twenty one. First Timothy five twenty one. I charge thee there before uh, the uh, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. So now, if he hadn't have chosen some angels and limited how many angels would have fallen, it presumably others would have fallen. Now, as it was, Satan took a third of the angels. There were certain angels that he, he limited that Satan would be allowed to take. So there are angels that are seen as elect angels. If he had not chosen a certain segment of them not to fall, obviously two-thirds of them to fall, then probably more would have went with Satan. And that's interesting to see. And so notice uh, Paul did all things for the uh, sake of the, those who were elect. Look at 2 Timothy 2. In verse 10. In verse 8, he says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Uh, excuse me. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. I just find this is really beautiful. Two things here, that the resurrection is what really causes problems with people. You could say that Christ died and that he was buried. People don't have a problem with that. What they really have a problem with is if you say that he was raised from the dead. That's when they think that you've gone into la-la land. And they think that you've lost your mind. They just don't believe that a man could be raised from the dead. And so Paul says, I suffer as an evildoer because of that. And so it's funny when you see some of these people who give the gospel or they say, accept Jesus into your heart. That's not the gospel. See, that doesn't talk about the resurrection. Anything that doesn't have the resurrection is no gospel. And you could go out and tell people, accept Jesus into your heart all day long and people won't have a problem with it. Talk about the fact that he was raised from the dead. That's where you get problems. Now notice, and you see also, he says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. That's just a wonderful thing. You can put someone in prison. They cannot bind the word of God. No way you're going to ever bind the word, bind the word of God. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Today also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so Paul's um, focus was on doing all things uh, on the sake of the elect. Now notice the son was chosen to be the slain lamb. Um, and you also see uh, it's use of the Gentiles, those elect Gentiles. Now just wanted to say one thing about Kaleo before we leave and close out for the night. Kaleo pertains to those who are called by God to do some work in his plan. And uh, let's see, let's, um, let's go to Romans um, 1, 7. That's a good place to see it. Romans 1, 7. And remember, we showed you that God chose you. But before you became a believer, he called you to salvation. And um, if I'm not mistaken, and, and I could be, the word kaleo is not used in Scripture most of. And we use it kind of lightly. But a lot of people say, well, I've been called to the ministry. But really calling, as I remember in Scripture, is to salvation. It's not really used of to a ministry or to some particular position in the church. It's used of that you've been called to salvation. Now notice here in, in Romans 1, 
to all that, in verse uh, seven, uh, 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God. Now notice, called uh, to saints, or called to, uh, as saints. Uh, grace is to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that God chose you in eternity past. And when he chose you and you were born into this world, and Ephesians 2 would be a good place to see it, we were just like the rest of men. Isn't that ironic? That God could choose you in eternity past, but when you were born into this life, you were just like the rest of the unsaved. And then one day, the timing came and he says, hey, he called you. He says, hey, check this out. He said, whoa, why didn't I ever see that before? You know, it has nothing to do with you. But it's totally on the basis of the grace of God. It really is. And when you understand that and when you understand God's grace, I think it becomes easier for you to relate to other believers. To really show the grace of God to other believers. If I think it's about me. And God got a good one when he chose me, right? Then I don't really have an appreciation for the other saints. I really don't. But when you see that I was no good, God chose me even in spite of that. That it wasn't even about me. It's just an amazing thing to see. And you really begin to think, I am just so thankful for his grace. Yes, Dan. Pastor, you said earlier... Uh, it really is an inappropriate response to lament those who are not chosen, it's not fair, and all this nonsense. I remember the response of a young man to whom I was explaining this. Years ago, it was so instructive, it is still so vivid. We were at the table in the uh, family room in my parents' house in California, and I went over it, and when I was done, he leaned forward and just gasped <laughs> and said, why me? I said, I think you got it. Yeah. Why me? Yeah. I mean, that's a question that certainly comes up. And uh, I mean, particularly, I mean, as you are in situations where you start looking at other family members whom I think in my mind would be more deserving, right? And hey, but God knows. He knows all of the possibilities of things that we can't even factor in. But you hear a lot of people say that. Why did God choose me? Well, here's how I know one reason why. It wasn't because of who you are. <laughs> it certainly had nothing to do with who you are. Um, but it really makes you appreciate the grace of God, really. I think election is one of the wonderful doctrines of Scripture. I think it's a wonderful doctrine. And it should comfort every believer to understand that God chose you. There's nobody's going to be able to stop it. Nobody, they can kill your body, but they're not going to be able to stop what God is doing to you. Nobody's going to be able to stop it. There's nothing they can do about it. Satan can't stop it. Nobody. Not even me. I just think it's just a wonderful doctrine. And it's a shame that most believers don't have the appreciation for it that it, they should have. 